Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a new comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator and a critic. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices you're listening to. I'm Hass, I make Strip Panel Naked on YouTube, I edit the Panel by Panel magazine that I'm sure you're all familiar with now because I plug it every episode, and I also letter some comics, write some comics and edit some comics. Right, and I'm Aditya, and I letter comics like Izola, Maxwell's Demons, and The Long Con. So every week, we bring two topics to the table. I bring a topic, and Aditya brings a topic. So mine this week is all about dialogue in comics and approaches to it that I don't see as often as maybe I'd like, or maybe there's a good reason for that, we'll find out, and how that compares and contrasts against other mediums as well. Right, and my, my topic is very simple because I'm still feeling lazy after my vacation. <laughs> so I just want to talk about first issues. And this week, because we're talking about two things that are kind of like writery, I guess, uh, we've brought on a guest who's also a comics writer. So do you want to introduce yourself, tell everyone who you are? Hey, I'm Dennis Camp. I write Maxwell's Demons for Vault Comics with Aditya on Letters, and I also write for Panel by Panel. So to, let's get, well, we'll go with mine first. Let's get started first on that. So as a bit of an overview, I'll try and condense this in a way that makes sense because I'm still not quite sure <laughs> what, like where the topic is going. Uh, but my topic this week is about sort of meter dialogue because I, I had done an episode on Strip Panel Naked on the Tom King Batman episode, uh, issues that I did like the bat and cat thing that I'm sure people, if they have read that, will remember. And it was kind of this kind of like rep repetitive dialogue. And I went to try and figure out if there was a metered rhythm to that and there wasn't. Um, it was just kind of relied on repetition. Uh, and then I put like a call out on Twitter asking people to tell me if they could think of a good, uh, in, uh, you know, opportunity to do metered dialogue in comics. And the one thing that came up a lot was, was Prince of Cats. Um, which is uses iambic pentameter in its dialogue uh, because it's kind of a play on uh, Romeo and Shakespeare. Um, and then obviously like Etrican, you know, the demon dude from DC Comics who talks in like, is it, I don't know if he talks in like, it's just rhyme, isn't it? I think in rhyming couplets they talk. It yeah, it's rhyme. I, I it think, depends. Yeah, it depends on the writer. Like, uh, you know, some writers just do it rhyming and others do it a metered rhyme and stuff. Yeah. Walter Simonson, Walter Simonson did a version of Catwoman and Etrigan for Wednesday's comics that had a very specific structure. I don't think it was iambic pentameter. I think it was something else. But he did have a specific meter. Most writers do not and kind of do a just a very uh, cursory job of rhyming. <laughs> Uh, okay okay so that was basically more or less like the only things that came up and so i was wondering like why do we not see more i mean <laughs> there's probably you know well there is a very good reason but why do we not see more meter dialogue in comics because i think there is an opportunity there as a, a medium where you're kind of trying to control pace as much as possible that actually like the metered mm. approach in dialogue gives you a sort of a way of doing that, um, of controlling your audience a little bit more like closely. So I mean like, all right, so, so Dennis, what I guess I don't think you've ever written in meter, right? Has there been a specific reason no, as to why, no. or is it just that's not a thing that anyone insane would ever think about doing? No, it's just not something that, so comics traditionally is taking a lot of its cues uh, from television and film. Those are the dominant, you know, visual art forms right now. And so that's just not the norm. I don't think that there's any particular reason, but I think that there's a lot of people in comics who are, if not, maybe they're not, they're trying for something that's a little bit more, that hews a little bit more closely to life, you know, and maybe failing to do that anyway. But there's a certain naturalism, there's a certain naturalism that is a, that is the expectation right now in in dialogue. And, and so if anything, you might've seen it earlier when comics were uh, kind of embraced the fact that 
the people were speaking in kind of mm-hmm. absurd ways. Uh, t- today, I think it would be very rare to have uh, an editor who would be okay with with the kind of contortions that you have to make to do metered dialogue, which isn't to say that it's the wrong thing or that it wouldn't be a lot of fun to do. I just think that the, an, even an audience is not really, the comic book reading audience is not receptive to that kind of, uh, not obviously receptive to that kind of thing. Uh, I, have, I, I, have a, I have a question here. Uh, so the Tom King thing that uh, Haas mentioned in Batman, uh, hmm. did that work for either of you? Because I read that and I, I, it did not work for me. I loved it. I loved it. But I, I'm also a big fan of like, uh, of writing that tries to be a bit performancy and it's, and it's like staging. Because I, right. like, I, yeah, because it's very unnaturalistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But, I, but I also have a, a thing with comics where it obviously it depends on the, on the kind of thing you're doing. But with comics, you have an option of either making them or, tr- you know, attempting to make them more like naturalistic, like, like Dennis was saying, make them more a bit more like, you know, low key performance style thing. Or you can make or you can make them a right. bit uh, bigger and louder, like like theater. Um, and I think superheroes lend themselves naturally to being incredibly like theatrical. And if you do that, why not take an element of, of you know, some theater and do that with the dialogue as well? Make the dialogue theatric, make the dialogue not, not realistic and heightened to sort of give the whole sense um, of the comic a kind of like heightened sense. And I, so I thought it was really, really interesting. I know for most people, as far as I am aware, a lot of people really did not like it at all. But I thought there was something that... that had a level of artifice to it that kind of matches the idea in my head of like that grandiose superhero thing. See, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed that, the stylistic element to it. But I think that the problem for me comes from when you're working that hard on sort of the aesthetic, uh, the, you know, the structure of the dialogue, the back and forth, the performative nature of it, you, at least for in that book and in, in many books, you, what you're doing is you're sacrificing content and density mm-hmm. to get that. And I and I think that there needs to be some kind of balance for me to be satisfied with a book, right? So I'm not against. I fully agree that comics, in particularly in particular, because you're reading them, allows a certain degree of you know absurdity in in the way that you're writing it in, in a, a non natural, highly structured way. For me, comics best the best comics is are are at least a little bit like poetry but uh but i do i do want i do like content in in my work <laughs> and the my feeling yeah. my feeling is you that mean the bad thing yeah sorry density not <laughs> density uh and I feel that you you lose you lo- you lost a lot there. It became a it became really more a, a, the, about the back and forth rhythm than it did about saying something. Yeah, see, I agree with that because uh, I think uh, it was Brad Meltzer who did something similar, like something like fifteen twenty years ago with Batman and Superman specifically, except he did that with captions. So the story was kind of going on, and uh, also with captions, you can be a little more dense, like you can have more text in them. Uh, so he did that over something like four to five pages and there was a lot of, um, you know, bang for your buck mm-hmm. sort of. So, mm. but, but it did the same thing and there it worked for me, uh, because it wasn't sacrificing the density and it was, um, it's, it was also not, uh, it was also not like, see, uh, so see, see, uh, in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen century, uh, there's a bit where, um, I think it's uh, Pirate Jenny or like somebody else who basically does a Brechtian uh, lyrics uh, for like five pages. 
and while oh. those didn't necessarily work for me there specifically i didn't have a problem with the way they were doing mm-hmm. it because uh, league of extraordinary gentlemen is you know overall not interested in naturalism while mm. uh, something like a superhero comic in the context that we are reading uh, it, it depends on whether the scene fits in with the scenes before and after or the issues before and after yep. which might not always be the case but i was well, I, i think what i like about it and i think to counter the idea of um needing a specific amount of density uh in it is that it depends what you're trying to do with the piece and for me personally as i've spoke to you both about before uh is for me like if a thing is just trying to give me a unique experience i'm happy with that even if i don't necessarily walk away from that comic like being changed because i've learned something you know dramatic about myself or whatever but if it gives me an experience that is a little bit different than something else i quite like that's what i've gotten a lot from specifically that, like that run of batman even though i don't think there like some of the stories in that that i've read are necessarily like the strongest stories but the experience has always been interesting at the least and i like that comics has an opportunity uh, to do that constantly because with the monthly model you almost have a you almost have like a license to 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 refresh every single you know i mean in this case it's it's double ship so every t- every two weeks but you know every month you've almost got a, like a license to just do something different because if it doesn't work for someone they might come back next week anyway like even if you know if you push along the plot line enough they might come back next next month to the next issue so you've got the opportunity to to kind of give someone something fresh uh, every every issue and so that for me that th- those issues felt a little bit like that like someone was just kind of like trying to do something and regardless of if it worked or not uh, or worked for you or not I liked that approach and that's the thing that got me recently thinking about like why why don't why don't we see more and more people trying this thing maybe it's just because it doesn't work <laughs> like and because people hate it um, no, but I, I like I, that idea of like yeah. thinking like how do we how can I approach dialogue that is not just replicating what we see in you know in in film and TV and I think theatrical dialogue is very 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 different for a reason and I think that yeah I think you can make comics replicate the the sensation of the feeling of theater um but we just maybe don't see it that much 100%. I think that Eisner felt that comics was closest mm-hmm. to theater and I think Dan Waters feels the same way and I agree I think Aditya makes a great point to me which is I I I agree that I enjoyed that about the those Batman issues and I like I really enjoyed Tom King's work uh I just wonder if there's a way of doing that that doesn't have to sacrifice density and of course you're right that not everyone needs density that not every comic has to be dense it's yeah. just my personal preference but i do think that again aditya makes the point that melzer tried something like that with captions and you lose a certain i'm sure you lose you do lose a certain you know the the images are part of mm-hmm. the pacing right the the images become part of the rhythm in tom kings and you lose that when you when you just condense it down into captions but uh, the, you know i wonder if you could play with it in such a way that you you could still you, you could still increase the density to have something that felt like a, a full story you know at the end of 20 22 pages i still i still viscerally crave that i guess Yeah I think um, uh, in this case Melsa probably uh, see there was a there was a trend in the 90s to kind of approach comics as um, a thing that is written that is drawn as in <laughs> yeah. um, essentially the essentially the drawing is kind of helping the writer tell the story um, and I'm guessing Melsa being a novelist kind of um, went that in that direction rather than you know it being the kind of absolute interplay of uh, 
words and pictures that we kind of understand comics as mm-hmm. now um but but i think yeah i think this is a good topic in general because uh, i think we've lost something uh, overall uh, in the intervening 20 25 30 years because uh, there is a sort of like what dennis was saying that there is a sort of rough and readiness to comics in that you know what it didn't work this month you can do something else next month and yeah i think i think writers are like i yeah i think it might be useful for writers to kind of focus less on everything being a solid story and uh, you know once in a while just shoot for the stars and then fall on your face uh, yeah i think that, that that's that's part I, of like I, the style thing because uh we have this feeling i think in 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 monthly comics and not all of it i don't i don't i don't want to be like the guy that like immediately relates it to like 1985 um but since there was a grounded realism that that has then kind of like you know uh extrapolated out through comics generally that and in the same way that like tv has kind of done the same thing where there's uh, a lot of the bigger series have even you know even the fantasy stuff has like a is aiming for like a really grounded like grittiness you know like game of thrones or whatever yeah. um and so it feels like to go theatrics is <laughs> like like i don't know if it's just like uh antiquated or what but it it feels removed from where from like the zeitgeist or whatever um and also and i, I think, actually feel go on, that, sorry go on sorry i i actually feel that it's the domination of film and television that is that is flattening comics out that way well, yeah that's what i was going to say people don't I, I honestly think it anymore probably as much uh, as they are used to seeing more like right. naturalistic stuff i would make the argument I would make the argument also that though he doesn't use a specific uh rhythm structure or or pattern uh what's it Frank Miller's work is very theatrical yeah. to me it's yeah. very performative it's very over the top he you know the the captions and and the the, the everything's declarative and, and and he uses the panels and his you know he's really cartooning in such a way as to and and I think he's doing lettering placements is my guess as well to uh to structure a certain rhythm for the reader right he's really about controlling mm-hmm. the pace no, of reading yeah and even visually zorsi's especially is incredibly yeah. theatrical like basically they all everything looks like a tableau uh, and i i think dialogue wise his inspiration is probably um, you know noir novels rather than um, theater but it mm. still works because it's incredibly stylized um, but but i do want to i would i do want to point out that like what has says about theater being antiquated i don't think that's the issue i think the problem is that theater is a little too avant garde almost that mm. you know people are like uh, see uh, like take uh, pete milligan's uh, shade the changing man like there was a lot of stuff he was doing there which was just kind of uh, thrown in and you know you know rhythmic uh, rhythmically you know to do with uh, his prose inspirations or his theatrical inspirations mm-hmm. i i think we just um, we've just sort of like uh, implicitly agreed now that film and television is comics's closest cousin rather than anything else <laughs> yeah. and i think that needs and 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 sort of like consequently most writers you see writing comics right now are not uh, people who you know are prose writers but like you know aspirational uh, tv writers sort of mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that but like i think it kind of uh, as dennis says flattens it out a little you know do you think it removes some of the weirder stuff that you could be doing what well, do you, do you think do you think uh that there is cuz one thing that i have i think this was more after doing reading more darwin cook uh because i did uh, like a strip how naked about uh, selena's big score and so i was looking at like a bunch of darwin yeah. cook stuff uh, specifically in that book and the thing that darwin cook does 
uh, in that book. This is a very slight shift, but kind of relating to that topic is he because I guess because he's got an animation background, or also just because he's well, you know was a genius. Um, he looks at dialogue scenes <laughs> in an incredibly like in an incredibly visual way. And the thing with with TV and film writers specifically is that I don't necessarily know that when you're writing when you're being you know writing a screenplay that you are I don't. Uh, I understand what you mean. You're not considering yeah, the visual are, component. There are, of yeah, that there dialogue. are caveats to that. But your job as a screenwriter is not to write the visuals so much as it is to write the action and the dialogue. Um, and so, yeah, if absolutely. you're if, if we're looking at comic writers tradition or not traditionally, but modern comic writers as people that have kind of got that training of TV and film, you're also missing a whole of a component, which is. I mean, in, you know, in theater would be the performative, in comics is the visual. And I think like when I read Selena's big score and there's there's like a page where um, Stark, the detective dude is like having a, you know, doing a bit of dialogue, but the whole the whole page is basically just showing him like really methodically lighting a cigarette. Um, and it's beautiful. And it's like not on his face at all, but he's talking, but we're just watching him take this lighter slowly from a pack of cigarettes and then he lights it on the final panel. And that is like, the thing that someone else that isn't the writer would have probably put into the, you know, if that was a film, they would put that into the, That would be the director's choice or the, or the cinematographer's choice. Yeah, like that choice. would be business, basically. I yeah, and, yeah, but yeah, whereas yeah. the writer, the, the screenwriter would say, you know, like, uh, you know, Stark lights a cigarette while he, and then, and then bunch of dialogue. So, like, also as a side point, which I suppose is also related to this as the kind of like you doing performative dialogue, do you think that we're losing a sense of, uh, writers specifically being trained to write for visuals and comic books because they may not have that training if they come from um, somewhere. Because this is a really awkward way of saying it, but you're getting, but you, what you're getting is people that are trained writing, probably more likely having trained to do film or TV that also love comics and getting to comics. So is that training not necessarily preparing people for writing visuals? I think that the training is is really, I mean, I think a lot of people who write comics consume mm -hmm. a lot of comics. So I, I think that it's more that because comics is flattened out for, in my opinion, pop cultural reasons, like the fact that everyone's trying to ape film and television because those are the most successful, you know, uh, mediums. Those are the most successful commercial mediums. You'll, what you're seeing are people who are just consuming media, it, maybe not even trained, but they're just consuming a certain type, type of media. And so what you're getting is a very limited set of tools in the toolbox, right? For instance, most comics that you read now either have no internal narration or more commonly have a first person internal mm -hmm. narration, right? Now that's very, to me, that's very limiting because it used to be that you could switch, you would switch voices in a heartbeat and the, the narration could be part of your, uh, could be actually part of the story. You know, you could do things with that, which is something that I, I would try to do on Maxwell's. It's very, it's very limited, I think, right now, what is acceptable and what isn't. What, and it's not even something that people are, are necessarily putting into words. It's something that just feels natural. It just doesn't feel natural to have narration or only feels natural to have first-person narration in a scene. And that's sad because there's a lot of other things that, you know, that, that are open to you if you're willing to try things. But I, I think that because in television and film, you know, there's a certain... There's a certain standard, uh, a certain agreed upon set of, of tools. Those become just what pro proliferate in the culture. And a lot of writers are, are frankly self-taught, I think. It's not, they're not, they're not actively being, uh, they're not going to, some of them are, I'm sure, but I, for instance, I was self-taught. And so what, what I consume is largely what I, you know, what I learn from. And, and if all you're consuming is one type of, uh, one, one or a small set of storytelling tools, 
then that's really all you're going to be able to to implement, I think. It's probably worth having adding the caveat that for the most part, we're going to be talking about like, you know, monthly direct market sort of comic books. <laughs> As a, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. because most of this, I'm sure people will be listening to this screaming like, you know, this is all being done outside of like the monthly comic books in very cool indie books. Um, but on that, so on that, on that point then, do you think that it's worth trying to get uh, comic creators, not just writers, but comic creators generally thinking beyond the the realms of uh, you know TV and film and actually trying to look at others like poetry or, or theater or whatever? I don't think you can force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. And I not don't true. think you're going to get not a good true. result if you're... <laughs> okay. I don't think you're going to get a great <laughs> result if you're just constantly shitting on people. You know, people are going to do the work that they want to do. I think as a culture, we would be healthier if we consumed more poetry and theater and and uh and weird avant-garde prose but you know that's that all you can do is kind of encourage those people to go into comics (laughs) yeah nick also i I would also say that uh, see as a bilingual uh, person my attitude towards this tends to be very um, much more open in terms of um i think you you both of both of you have read my writing Uh, and I try and kind of bring in rhythms from other languages uh, into it. I try and bring in, um, you know, specific word usages and stuff, uh, which, you know, uh, I think it's, it's it works the same way that if you read a lot of poetry or like, um, you, you know, you have to read widely and you have to kind of, uh, uh, see, you, you can't write comics um, if you've learned how to read through comics. And like, you know, that's because comic rhythms uh, comic writing rhythms are very specific and um, they, they they're sort of like simultaneously visual information as well as character information right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in a way that that doesn't tend to be in any other medium uh, like uh, you know I, I there are times when one of my writers will make a line shorter because of the way it looks on the page and it has nothing to do with how it reads in somebody's mind. But that visual information is also important. So I think you kind of need a lot of these tools in your arsenal that you, you kind of should be familiar with the rhythms of poetry, of theater, of film, of like, I would say a lot of prose. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I think uh, right now, right, uh, writing for comics would be, you would, sorry, would benefit a lot from prose reading and like especially literary prose rather than pulp. Because, um, you know, kind of that, uh, I, I think we sort of, uh, we, we are kind of so mu- focusing so much on the dialogue conveying story that we are not kind of focusing on everything else mm-hmm. to a degree. Like that's, that's where the whole meter thing comes in, right? Like where, uh, you're trying to make the dialogue p- perform more than one function. In a, on one point. Yes. So on one point, it's like, uh, having a way of controlling it a little bit more, but also on the other point, it's also just having a way of adding a, a certain level of, I guess, theatric, theatricness, theatricality to it, which you don't necessarily get. So it, it's almost, you know, it's almost working opposite the sort of the grounded, um, uh, you know, film and TV kind of like utter realism. Because like just back on that topic, I think the thing that always kind of like sticks in my mind about it is we talk about, I like to talk about theatrical being like, you know, over the top or whatever in performance, but obviously theater is, is a way of doing a grounded story. Um, but you're just you're yeah. just you're pitching it to just to a, a lot of people in a room. Uh, but a part of that is also the nature of I think the reason you can get away with that also in theater is that people go into that and there is a level of 
like sort of artifice that you're aware of immediately because you're sat in a seat and you're watching people move about on a stage and you yes. the set is not a real location doesn't half you know half the time it's not even it doesn't even really look like a real location um whereas on on film and tv you're trying to as much as possible present this is you know obviously i'm again being very sort of generalized but it's much easier to present a hmm. a level of reality that looks real that's like this is a real yeah it's, it's a real house yeah there's a high it's a real person. yeah theater has a higher buy-in basically that was the genius of brecht right that he recognized that and said no we're not it's you're not trying to have a a smooth immersive <laughs> experience rather we should address the audience because we're trying to tell them something and they already know that they're in a room right, full of people right. watching there's no point us, pretending right? like, that this is like a real thing happening because we all know it's not a real thing so, so it right. gives you some artistic license and now with comics i think it's the same right. thing because you're aware that this is something that someone has drawn specifically, you know, on a sheet of paper and you're holding it in your hands. Uh, there is already a level of artifice that you are aware of uh, because you have to engage with it more specifically. So why not take some of those? I suppose that's the question is why not? Why don't we see more of people taking those elements that make uh, theater work and use them in comics rather than taking more of the elements that make film and TV work and trying to use them in comics? I guess I think that it's I, I, comics kind of exists in between in the sense that you can there are different approaches and I, I can I can have a comic that's extremely uh, I can read a comic that's mm -hmm. extremely immersive. I agree with you that I wish people would take a, a greater diversity of of approaches. Uh, you know, going if you're trying to do something cinematic, that is its own interesting <laughs> thing. And if you're trying to do something a bit more theatrical, that's its own interesting thing. And sometimes those you know you can mix those up a little bit in different ways. I I, I think that right now the reason that they're not doing it is because the audience for theater is incredibly limited <laughs> and the audience for film and television is massive and so if you're trying to sell a comic book especially because let's be honest a lot of people are trying to sell comic books as film or television pitches because you're making a lot of money mm -hmm. on the option and the ultimate production it makes more logical it's i mean it's a it is a calculated thing to create a comic that would would be a good television or film right like uh, no, so uh, so what I was going to say was that uh, you see artists uh, employing a lot of tools of ab abstraction in comics. Like, for example, if you have a dramatic shot, you're you're not going to go for like realistic coloring, or you'll you'll go for something more expressive, mm -hmm. more impressionistic. I don't see why writers can't do that as well. Because uh, see, I, I think I wrote this in my uh, essay for Panel X Panel One, where um, I think comics as a like uh, readers accept a lot of artifice in comics mm -hmm. uh, and like they buy in in spite of that because um, because i think there's a like a nature thing like buy pxp one to you know read my my thoughts on it but <laughs> nice. but essentially i think uh, uh, artists and colorists and even like let me as a letterer uh, we can use a lot of like um, non-naturalistic uh, elements to kind of enforce uh, the feeling that we want or the you know the tone that we want i don't see why writers can't do that i understand that it's a little um, we we kind of um, like i mean uh, everybody's complaining about why we don't see something like lesion in comics there is no reason for us not to like our writers have to think a certain way mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. if they want to do that because because lesion doesn't just play with the mise-en-scene and the you know the uh, acting and all of those things it uh, it plays with the writing as well mm -hmm. you know there's there's a there's an entire episode that starts with a new character sure. that you've never seen sitting on a sofa in a abstract space telling us what the story is about and but 
if you look at if you if you read uh, or if you see interviews with Noah Hawley, he he talks about how he's forced to rewrite a lot of the scripts that can't come in for Legion because he has a very specific logic that's at work. And I think what you're when you have a, a creative team, the writer is sort of the furthest away from the finished product. And so it can be hard to judge how something is actually going to hit. Whereas a cartoonist is right there in the midst of making it or a letterer is kind of going over over whatever the, the art is. And so there's a better sense of how is this working? How is this not working? Do you know what I mean? So it would require a lot more uh, work from an art, from a writer at the end stages to make something work, which is something I think a lot of writers are sort of uh, opposed to just based off of their own laziness. I mean, it's, it's a guess. It's just yeah, my no, guess. No, I, I agree with you sort of. Uh, so like um, when I am uh, when I was lettering Drifter, uh, I would see Ivan rewrite the captions quite a lot for the artwork. And he was doing exactly that. Like there's a, there's a certain thing he there's a certain tone that he wants to convey because those are not naturalistic captions at all. Like if you read those captions, they're kind of, coming I love from, yeah, it's just brilliant, fucking brilliant. Uh, so they're coming from the brain of the guy. Like they're not, they're not trying to communicate the story. They're not telling you like, okay, so this happened, then that happened, etc. They're just, there's a tone that he's trying to convey through them. And um, when I would let her drifter, um, like the first draft would be so close to the la- final draft, except that, Ivan would go in and tweak the captions over and over to see how they are reacting to the artwork and how they look on the page and how they are conveying the tone that he wants to convey. And that requires a lot of work. Like sometimes it took like five days of, you know, going back and forth to figure this out. Mm-hmm. So, you know. and it's a lot of demands on you as well as the letterer, right? So if I were lettering my own things like hostas, right, I might be more inclined to just keep on messing with things. Yeah. But if I'm asking somebody to keep on lettering things, you know, it's me saying, well, can you just do this balloon for the 17th time, but without the hand? Like, that's a that's a dick move, to be honest with you, unless you have a friend that is, you know, very tolerant and or it has nothing to do with their time otherwise, or you're paying mm-hmm. them for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about this in the previous that's episode, though, didn't we, as well, where there's that stage, there's a stage from that you, you kind of have, like, writing and then the artwork comes in and then the letterer has it. But there is, there sh- or there should be the stage between that before that yeah where the writer looks at it and goes okay like you know yeah this is what i wrote because we do like and my my example last time was you do this on film this happens on film tv all the time you you shoot the scene and either when you're literally there on the day on the scene you're you're doing the dialogue and you can tell it doesn't work you know be that because of the way you're shooting it or whatever it might the dialogue may just not work or it's the actor it doesn't fit with you know the actor generally uh or what you do is you you edit it and you cut the scene together and you're like that scene doesn't work that you know that line doesn't work anymore but maybe we need to replace it with this and you get something for adr so that still does happen on film and tv and it it definitely should happen on comics because so much like you were saying buddy so much of it is the interplay between words and images that if you just go well i've got the images in my head and these are the words that fit with them i don't it doesn't matter what the artist draws because uh (laughs) I'm, i'm thinking of this thing you still need to have that moment to change it but there's a reason that you keep going. I mean, for me, there's a reason you go back to Darwin Cook. And it's because it's all the work that he does and the work that Frank Miller does is very much of one piece, right? Especially earlier, Frank Miller, where, where his wife was coloring his work and he had huge input and he was, yeah. you know, going mm-hmm. to the printer mm-hmm. and figuring out how, how can we do full page bleed or whatever. I mean, you, there's an argument to be made, a, a strong argument to be made that all comics should be written, drawn, lettered, whatever, by the same person who just spends a lot of time learning those crafts because 
that it, it's you can make an argument well yeah when the art comes back there should be another stage but you can also make the argument that well when the artist is is looking at the work there should be a lot of room to change everything and completely reinvent what they're doing you know for because of how how it's coming out on the page and so there's i think a lot of experimentation is done by the are the writer artist you know all in one i think manipal does a lot of really interesting stuff like that i yeah. think uh, Sinkevich did a lot of really interesting stuff like that on Straight Toasters when he was, you know, when he but was so, really so much, But so much and of that so, is just because of the boring, you know, the boring reality of the fact it's you've got 30 days to kind of turn everything around. Like, I, I imagine right, that, you know, right. you would have a lot more back and forth as as people do when they're doing creator-owned books. They have a lot more back and forth on right. what you're going to do with the page. Whereas if you're on a monthly book and, you, you know, you're a writer and you send your thing into the editor and then the editor passes it on to the artist. The artist isn't going to be like, you don't, well, you don't even really have time for the most part to be like, I want to change this whole scene. So it's about the way that actually he, you know, he caresses the mirror while he says this line of dialogue. I don't know what that, where that came from. Right. Um, but like, you know, so you don't have time to like, I want to do this and it has to go back to, so you just, you're costing yourself deadline time. So I think a lot of that is down to the boringness of, of like having 28 days or whatever to turn a, a, a comic around. <laughs> 28 days whatever it is that was an awkward <laughs> but but you know what i mean yeah. but it's like you've got so, so whereas in um, film you've got a, a whole a ton of time because like like you you make a you're making a film for a year or two uh, and you've got a lot of time before you even turn up to the you know in the pre-production time is huge before you even turn up to shoot a single scene so you've discussed at length the, but the a whole lot of process of that thing too, right There's there's a lot of shit movies too though right yeah so, yeah, yeah yeah but that's because but that but you know but there's that's not just necessarily because people haven't talked about it that, that there's a lot of different re- and part of that also if is budget as well if you haven't got time to really go over stuff or you haven't really got time to worry about the way you're shooting things or you've got a tight or whatever you know there's a lot there's a lot of practicalities to all this stuff that we talk about right. um but you've got a lot you have a lot more lead time on t- typically on film than you will have on on, on like monthly sure. you know monthly big two comics or whatever um yeah like there's a, there's a comic that i'm lettering right now which uh, i've literally allotted a week for that uh, because uh, they've asked for a lot of specific things in it. And um, also, like, I know that when I look at the page, I'm going to add in, like, you know, 10 different things to that. <laughs> and then we, you know, go over and over. But, like, it's absolutely impossible to do that on a monthly comic. Like, this comic publishes four times a year. So that's fine. <laughs> like, we can do that. Yeah. We, have the time. we have the time and they have the money. So, like, uh, we can do that. See, also, exactly, uh, that's part of it. Like, uh, if you're if you're getting paid well, then you also want to put that time in. And mm-hmm. if you're not, then you know you're like I- I'm not going to allot a comic a week if they're not paying me well. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I'm sure some of it is also how how involved you feel in the process, the creative process. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And how invested you are in the final result, right? I mean, obviously, you want to do your work well, but there's certain books where. I feel that you can really claim ownership, like Graffiti's Wall, for instance. Like that's really exactly. A book I'm, I'm, that you're doing exactly. I'm I'm hand lettering that book, and I'm I'm getting paid a standard digital rate for it. I chose to hand letter it. I chose to kind of. I decided that look, this is how I'm gonna do, and you know, I can do that because they give me like you know creative ownership. Like they, I get to make a lot of decisions right. about both what I'm doing and I get to react to what they're doing. Like there there are things mm-hmm. that they're exactly. doing that are based on what I decided. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't doesn't really happen in monthly comics. Like nobody nobody's gonna change their comic because a letter had a good idea. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what a shame. Well, let, right. Let me just bring it back on topic for this one last point because I had one other point, which was um, so the whole basis of this was about uh, meter dialogue, right? And there is 
also, I think maybe I've spoken to you, to the two of you, maybe separately about this at other, other times, is that do we actually instead see meta dialogue take over in the form of panels? Does do panels become the version of meta dialogue that we see in comics? The water and yes, and that's why the grids. I guess that's what grids are, right? It's it's creating a meter uh, for the the visual language of the of the book, right? Yeah, but does it quite work like that? Because uh, I remember Alan Moore talking about how um, in the in the scene where the comedian faces Moloch, he wanted to do those alternating colors things because he thought that he was going to get that beat. But the fact is, uh, there's a lot of dialogue in that scene, so. Uh, that actually doesn't end up working. Like it was the third time that I was reading that book that I, I that I realized, oh, he's trying to convey the neon sign outside changing color through this scene. Oh, it doesn't work for you. It doesn't. It works for and me. Like, Alan Moore himself thought it didn't quite work. See, and this well, this is an, I, it works for me as a scene, but not as a trick. Yeah. See, this and this is the point: oh, is that it becomes a lot more difficult to 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 I think do a meter visually because there's so many more uh, variables. Yeah, than there are in dialogue. I think you can really do that well in silent comics. That's actually uh, okay. So uh, we we, sure, sure. Yeah, and we've done that in uh, Graffiti's Wall. Actually, if you look at the first four pages, uh, there's a beat-based rhythm to it, and we can do that because it's all SFX. Like, there's no actual um, like there's there's one piece of dialogue at the very beginning. After that, then the four pages are all visual rhythm with SFX. but then the, the question, I think there's a lot of people who don't read SFX. Fair. So then... Uh, what, I, I think the visual rhythm works without them, actually. Well, what I'd say for the, yeah. I was gonna say for the visual actually, rhythm stuff is, a part of that also is, is A, your artist knowing what you're doing, right? So like, have, at some point having to explain that maybe in the script that you're going for a, a specific meter or, a spe- you know, I keep saying meter, but a specific approach to the rhythm of the visuals because... You can you could do you know you could do a say if you're going to do like a nine panel grid structure and you've got your three panels three panels and then you you maybe you open up the bottom so it's just one long uh, panel and to you as a writer maybe that's got a, a certain rhythm or structure to it or whatever right but if the artist then goes and fills those first six panels with just like really detailed backgrounds like you know like really <laughs> labors over them and then the final panel is maybe just yeah. like really empty uh, and what you thought as a writer writing that was the, was the opposite or whatever maybe just like a real small element in six panels and then like a really right. labored over final panel so there is an there's elements about I would argue- knowing that what you're trying to do with the whole team right you did a shitty job of conveying what you were trying to do if that happens you know what i mean yeah. because on a page are those panels you should like I, I'll call out sometimes, like if I, especially if I'm going for something, like no, just drop out the backgrounds here or keep it simple here because we want them to go through like this. I, I think that part of the job, you're absolutely right, communication. But I mean, that that is so basic to me that it should be in the script if you're if you're really trying to go for something there. And if you're not, if you know, then then you weren't trying to go for it anyway. And so that's but that's the other question is does it is there points where because you, you're saying like you should be going for something, but do, should you not be going for something like on every? Is, is just not every single page, or does it not? You, you, as a writer, you tell me. But it, should every page it's have unworkable. a structure? Yeah, I mean, I I feel bad if I don't have a a deeper 
point to something to a page, but I do. Uh, it happens, right? Because that's just the reality of of of, of the works. That sometimes it sometimes does. And sometimes, it, like I try for right? <laughs> sometimes. Well, sometimes you know the story has to take precedence or whatever. Certain things need right. to happen, and and so you don't have the room to do what you want if you have ex- and a certain. I mean, that's in that's another sad thing about comics is that we're in a place where you want you know, you get 20 pages or you get 22 pages or you get 24 pages and that's it. You know, if you want 27 for here or if you want 19 for this issue, there's going to be pushback. You find that there's quite a lot of pushback actually. So you can't always end up with, you know, the the effects and everything that you want done exactly the way you want it. And also sometimes you you want something on a page and you communicate it to the artist and the artist says, that's <laughs> shitty and I don't want to do that. And so... And, and it happens, right? Like even, or even to the, the letterer, right? You might say, well, here's something that I want to try. And the letter says, yeah, no, because that's going to look naff, is were your exact words once. <laughs> so, uh, what, me, me or actually, so, which of us are you talking to? Yeah. Because both of us are you. Uh, sorry, that was, the, the naff was, was uh, Haas. Yeah, I don't use the Haas, word naff. Which one? I don't what, know anyone else does. I don't remember anymore, but I remember being like, uh, all right, I'm not going to fight that's you on this. Like, if you say that it's going to look... <laughs> right, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I feel about everything that you do. Yeah, so well. that's so, Danish, like basically that's an instruction to give me everything you want letter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh no, but I mean, so so you're part of a creative team and you're all trying for things, and the best you can do is communicate something that you're trying for, right? But if you also have to trust the colorists and the letterer and the artist yeah. that they know what they're doing and that they have their own ambitions and that you communicate a, a kind of a, a, a thing that you want people to feel and they try to do that as best as they can with the skill set and the, you know, the, the aesthetic eye that they have and all the things that they bring to it as well. And hopefully you end up with something that's better than what you thought you were going to get. Uh, sometimes you end up with something that's exactly what you thought you were going to get and that's great. And sometimes it just doesn't work out because what you wanted to do was unworkable or had other drawbacks that you didn't see or just was not workable in the time frame that you or had. Or maybe and, the, and, that particular team wasn't the right want to kind of right exactly i'll throw it back to that uh you know when we were talking about like film and tv and the idea of like just having these conversations because i I think there's there's a difference there as well in that so from my experience you know we have a script so if we're talking about making a film we have a script and then we kind of we we do the, the the cool thing of just sitting down with all the different departments and going like you know this is what we're thinking but like what do you want to do with it and so you get like the costume, the costume guys will come back to you and say like, you know, well, we're thinking this thing. And you're like, okay, well, that's cool. That actually sort of changes how I feel about this thing. That's kind of cool, blah, blah, blah. You know, the sound, the sound people are like, we want to do this, blah, blah, blah. Cinematographer, I want to shoot it like this. Uh, whereas with comics, sometimes like, especially on the monthly model, you just, A, you don't have time to do that, but also you don't get the opportunity, I don't think as much to kind of be like, what what would you do with this thing because you're under such a like a pressure for deadlines um and also i don't know if there's maybe more of a preciousness to things potentially uh because people aren't maybe either used to working like that or the, because the teams are such are so much smaller um that people kind of like have much feel like they maybe they they are relegated more to a specific role but there's there's a much and they're not paid very and that, well that and that's the other thing yeah you don't sometimes you just don't care <laughs> just because you don't have enough time to even I mean, you don't have it it's not like you don't care but you don't have enough time to care to that degree 
I always want the people in my creative team to put as much of themselves into the book as possible. And what I found is that there are certain people that want to do that. For instance, you'll change a lot when you let her, right? And like I sometimes I'll say no and sometimes I'll say yes, but I like that you're that you care and that you're trying things and that you're thinking about things, you know, on the level of how it's laying like how it's coming across. Uh, and so there's people that, and I, I'll work with certain colorists that, that put a lot, like they just want to put a lot of themselves into it. They want to experiment. They want to try new things. And that's always my preference. But even wanting that all the time, you don't always find somebody who wants to do that as part of your creative team. And so that's also, you have to respect, you know, their, their desires and, and, and kind of their work process. Mm -hmm. And so I always, I, I think that's the most exciting part of the, of the whole thing is when you all come together and you say, Hey, what are you like, here's, here's a script. This is a, you know, this is a starting point or here's an idea. This is a starting point. Here's a, you know, the pitch and let's all, how could we, how could we realize this in the best possible way? What are your ideas? And I found that, uh, you know, a colorist that I'm working with has great story ideas. Letters that I work with have great story ideas. Like it all it adds to the overall work, but you know, it's not, it's just not always, it's not, even if you, even if you, as the person putting together the creative team as an editor or a writer or whatever, even if you create that environment, you might not find the people that, you know, want to be a part of that kind of a process. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but part, I think part of that is also having the opportunity to, to have agency over your, uh, over the, over the project in some regard. And I think there is maybe yes. an element of, of in, in comics, people not having had that agency before. Um, and and yes. so it's difficult to kind of learn to have that agency as well, uh, especially in a situation where, you know, it's, because there isn't a lot of pay, everyone's, you know, people want to keep on good terms with each other. Um, and sometimes being like, as I, as I probably have said to you before, you know, like, this is awful. Why have you sent me this? Um, <laughs> so you don't want to do that to people, uh, you know, th that you don't know particularly well or whatever. Uh, so, so having right, agency right. is not always, even though even if you want people to have agency, having agency maybe not is also maybe like not the safest thing for someone to have in the Perks, project. Yeah. Yeah. So ha it's true. How it's like so that it doesn't quite get there, but it gets us to a point where it's close enough because we're talking about creative teams. Uh, and the yeah. first thing that creative teams uh, do Are you desperately looking for a segue right now. <laughs> Our first issue, the first thing they do. Is why why do you always? Be, why can't you just say okay, moving on to the second topic? Like he always because does this. Quite, yeah. Because there's a perfect segue. Yes. It, it's you know if it's there, <laughs> I'll take I'll take it. No, it is not. You never have good segues. But the, listen, it's not. We're talking about creative teams getting it's together, uh, and you know the thing that they do. <laughs> so what do, do they first? Yeah. They make for that's like saying like a Big Mac is a perfect burger. Like it is, you can. It's barely a burger. It kind of functions in, in that it's role. A burger, I'm not going to call it, perfect. but it's still a burger. So if the topic was Big Macs to burgers, <laughs> that would work. And this topic is a switch okay. because this is the fun thing that we always do on this is that we have a topic and then we sort of talk, talk about that topic very, very, very loosely. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. half an hour. Yeah. And we sort of just talk about other things that also then interest us off the, off the back of that. So it's always really hard to plan how to transition from one because you didn't, we never know where we're going to end up. So this time we ended up in a really good place. We ended up in the perfect uh, transition. It's, it's according to one out of three people. That That is not a majority. We found, we found love in a hopeless place. That's true. That's just so, so we're talking about, Let's yeah, just... on the subject of creative yeah. teams creating a, a, a new thing. <laughs> um, I'm still trying it. <laughs> he's just gonna keep saying it let's just move on okay yes yes so yeah definitely perfect set on perfect. that subject uh, of creating new things uh <laughs> Billy, your topic was about uh first issues so what what was it what did you what was it about first issues you wanted to discuss 
not like i didn't have a specific thing because I, as i said i was being lazy uh, but also <laughs> i was reading uh, dan hill's opening contract book which is all about first panels so essentially what he's trying to kind of say that okay so um your the first panel is your essentially your entry into the story and what uh, what contract is that panel making with you like what is what is it promising you you know right. and uh, first issues are kind of like that because uh, um, you know they they kind of they want to make you buy the next one so they're kind of giving you a promise of something being delivered down the line mm-hmm. now uh, the reason i'm interested in it right now is that um, there was a time when uh, first issues would be they would be setting up your storytelling engine as in they would not yes. be the first chapter of your overall story they would essentially be like the first story is uh, six issues and this is the first bit of it and in the first issue we are going to try and establish something that we can replicate every six issues so that you know we can last for like whatever 60 80 80 issues or whatever but mm. that or or if i may or in, in individual issues for instance planetary yeah, right something, there's exactly. a storytelling engine that that sets up every every, single every story and every yeah, yeah. but yeah. now uh, we've kind of moved over to a trend where you have one story that you're telling through your comic and your first uh, issue is the first chapter of that story so i wanted kind of this is the thing that i was thinking about because i'm 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 uh, i told uh, dennis an idea recently and i'm kind of trying to figure out what out of these things need to needs to be in the first issue so that i'm not breaking a promise essentially so um i was just thinking about that yeah i don't see i don't mind if a promise is broken because what we had mm. in in film i think i think maybe less than anything else but we had it a lot in film like 5 years ago was like a trend of uh like these really like sudden almost incredibly sudden like tonal shifts um where you're, you're can give an example so uh, w- uh what was the one with uh Michael C Hall i think it was Michael C Hall and it was like a it was like a crime thing that all of a sudden it a, a better one is the guest so the guest was uh the one the guy from legion what's his name dan Oh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. So uh the guest starts out with like as like a sort of like a guy turns up at this house and he's like an old like army friend of like the 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 dead son of this family and it kind of starts out like a little bit like a kind of like a you know under the guise of like a uh what happened to my son kind of investigation sort of thing and then it turns into like a full on like stalker like horror thriller movie and then it just suddenly sw- yeah. switches again into like an action military movie and then switches again into like an 80s teen um you know like like teen horror comedy kind of thing so it has like it has like right. it has like three tonal shifts <laughs> but it's a really good that well, last one didn't sound great but no yeah. it's a really good movie it's a really no, because good movie see, uh, it, sorry well i was just gonna say it's it's and so what it sets up for you at the start is not necessarily what it delivers to you you know two or three shifts down the line either yeah see for, uh, there's like an example that. of uh, from dust till dawn where um wh- when i theoretically heard about the movie i was like i am going to so love this movie <laughs> uh, because it's like half of it is a crime thriller that suddenly turns into a vampire movie right mm-hmm. except when i watched it i did not enjoy it at all like i loved the first half but the the tonal shift is so bizarre and it's like it's two half stories rather than one story which it which theoretically is all right but that's a craft. that's fine that's fine Uh, no it's it's like uh, i think i think the two genres that they chose were not compatible uh, because um, You know, see, Legion goes through a lot of tonal shifts, and I I think I'm happy with pretty much all of them. Um, It's a craft issue, yeah. is what I'm saying, though. It's not an issue of you. You have a problem. I think you're having a problem with the craft. I don't think there's any two genres that are that are completely incompatible. I think it was written by Tarantino, who is not a good writer. 
Right. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> I don't. Let's not argue that. But it, it, I don't think it was. I don't think it was well. I don't think that was well written. Yeah, it was all. not a well written movie. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that that is the problem with it. Yeah, that was one of the problems. <laughs> so so that so so for instance, I I actually I think that when you're doing a, a comic or any any project, there's kind of the high concept pitch, and it's and and then there's what the comic actually is, and and for me, I actually much prefer a comic which is much more or very different from the high uh, high concept pitch, right? So for instance, uh, Winterman is ostensibly about a Soviet Superman kind of coming back and doing something, you know, trying to take over the world type of thing, right? Yeah. That's the high concept pitch. And that is immediately people are going to get on board with that or not, whatever. But you understand it. The actual book is this kind of gritty, broken down crime story about, you know, people just surviving in post-Soviet Russia. Yeah, but and, the first issue and, and friendship. First issue does a good job of conveying that. Sure. 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 Yeah. Sure. I mean, I, but I guess I mean, yes, there are a number of I think there's a number of tonal shifts in that book as well and I think it always works, but I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I mean, other than just writing the story as you feel it, I don't think you you have any other obligation. Right. So if, if something changes, you know, I, I kind of like a little bit of a left turn here and there. And sometimes it's not going to work and sometimes it does. But as long as you're it's the same, you're writing it. Right. So there's going to be some there's going to be some continuity there, I think, between the issue one and, and the last issue. Yeah. Let, let's I do, take I do, a, I, sorry, let's take on. a poll here. And uh, so. Do you guys have any favorite first issues? Like this is the thing that was the gold standard for you. Um, it's not favorite. I, I, it's not favorite. It's hard for me to pick a favorite. Uh, it's something I think you Planetary did a really. Yeah. Planetary did a really nice job of, of what it. What was, was the first issue of Planetary? Was the Hulk thing was the preview, right? Uh, what was the? F- that was the preview. It opens with like him in a, a, in a cafe. It's, so, yeah. it's such a cool yeah. opening as well. It's such yeah, a cool yeah. But so, but that's a story engine, right? Yeah. So that's a story engine opening now. The, the gold standard, not necessarily the best, but again, the, the thing that to me is, is, most, uh, is most rigorous and, uh, and obvious is anything that BKV does, right? So especially why The Last <laughs> yeah. Man, like uh, he, he, he start all of his issues are essentially structured the same way. And his first issues are, are usually structured in a certain way as well. And they all do a very, very nice job of giving you something to care about. They shock you, you know, they shock you in the beginning. They give you the the overall high concept. They give you a feel. They give you characters that you care about, emotions, etc. Mm-hmm. They set up a bunch. And those are probably more traditionally in the in the vein of, you know, not so much a story engine as just a story or the first part of a story yeah. is what I would yeah. is what I would say. So he is he is the gold standard for most writers in comics on how to structure your first issues. And I, when I was tr- trying to figure out how to write comics, I really did read a lot of his work because it's so so uh, there's such fidelity to a certain a, style, a certain set of beliefs on what a comic is and how they function. And I don't, I don't adhere to them clo- as closely as he does, but I certainly see that they're very effective. I would, yeah. I would say Wild Last Man for me, I think is probably the best. Uh, I think that's easily probably the best first issue of a comic I've read. That was I one where like, so 
Well, that's one where Helen, so for example, like Helen, who doesn't really read that, like many comics, she reads like Saga. Um, and she really, really likes Saga. From, like, <laughs> so the, yeah, and she really, but she loves Saga from like the first couple of pages. And then we started reading Wild Last Man, she just didn't, she just couldn't get into it. Like the first like three or four pages, she just didn't get into it, it didn't work for her. And I kept put, because I'd bought the book. And so I was like, we're reading this book. And then we got <laughs> through like, so we went like three times, she didn't get into it. Fourth time, I was like, just get, just push past this opening and just see if you like, just read the first 20 pages. Like it's not long. And then by the yeah. end of the 20 pages, she was like, yeah, it's, this is awesome. Or 30, whatever it is. She was like, by the end of that, those, that, that first issue, she was like, yeah, this is like, we just, we blazed through like the first hardcover in one sitting after that. And I think like that. But there's, there's likable and then there's best. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not to say that, that he, it, it's not the best, but it's certainly the, the BKV is very effective, yeah, right? Yeah. He writes a certain way that's very effective in getting a good template uh, there, an right? average book. Yeah, yeah. I, yes. For me, it's like, for me, what I want from a first issue is especially, I mean, it's different if you're not reading it monthly, because uh, I'm a lot more lenient, I think, if I'm not, if I'm reading right. it like in a trade or whatever. But in the first issue on a monthly, it's like, I want to know from the first handful of pages that I can trust you to be interesting. And I don't know that like a lot of stuff gets away with it for me gets away with it in the first couple of pages but i want i want to be told like either this is going to be interesting or uh or you know you're going to be worth my time and i i really don't like i hate the stories that start with like a like a like a quick a quick plot recap to catch me up to where we are in the world that sort of stuff i don't get i'm much i'm much more of a fan of like i'm because i'm a sucker for it so i'm much more of a fan of like the law and order cold opening sort of thing where it's just like, sure, sure. you know, something happens and I'm like, all right, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give this a go. As, as I say, especially with a monthly comic, if it's like a, a graphic novel thing or like a collection, you, you can start a lot slower for me. But on the, on, the, on the monthly, I much prefer saying that I loved Isola. So, you know, that just throw my entire argument out the window. Right, right. That, I'm surprised to hear you say that because I felt you would feel the opposite, that you would give something a lot more time to just kind of, you know, to just be. I hate. I don't. I don't like it monthly, though. That's the. That's the problem. Because if yeah, if, I, if yeah. I'm reading it monthly, I like. I re- especially for a first issue. Yeah, it's horrible because it's like even if even if I love it, which like for in the case of Isla, I loved that. I thought the first issue was amazing, and then I finished it, and I was like, God damn! Like I need. I need the next one now. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought. Yeah, I thought that was a brilliant first issue. Yep, yep. I thought it was amazing, but it, but it, it, and it's and it's a, the problem is it's because it's so good and because yeah. it's so slow, which I, which I am a big fan of <laughs> slow stuff. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Is that? But I hate it monthly because I'm I'm reading it right. like this is it's the, the 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 pace of this coming out into my hands and my eyeballs is too slow, and therefore like it's frustrating. Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, like planetary is. For me, like that's like Latin fell, you know, or like the Moon Knight books, Warren yeah. Ellis. So any Warren Ellis where it does like a story a month, like they're much more satisfying for me, even though maybe for me, I get less out of them in the long run. That, that, it's, yeah. it's a hard thing because it's like, because you, you've got to deal with monthly issue. schedule when you're talking about it. We should do an it's episode really about the issue. ABC plot thing that uh, like Paul Levitz and Rick uh, Kirkman. Yeah, yeah, the Levitz. No, because this, this relates Take to me. that. Like there's a, there's a payoff that you get out of a continued story that you don't get out of done in ones. Like, there's a yeah, long yeah. Yeah. It all depends on, all depends on the way you're engaging with them yeah, so like yeah. like reading moonlight every month is much more like that Declan Shalvey Warren Ellis one was much more satisfying oh, monthly than Isla is monthly even though I think that that is potentially a more interesting book 
Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Like, um, uh, I have a bit of an issue with Hickman and Remender about this that I don't ever think that their first issues give me a good idea of what the uh, overall thing is going to be. Like, uh, I'm talking about purely the creator own books because I don't think I've ever I've read much, uh, you know, big two work from them. But mm-hmm. like, uh, Remender especially, like something like uh, Seven to Eternity. Like, I think the actual premise of the book gets established in issue four. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, like the actual seven to eternity part of it is kind of issue yeah. four. But it's so pretty. Yeah, it's a beautiful book, and like <laughs> I, I, I loved reading it. But the first three months were incredibly frustrating in terms of I don't know what the story is. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to hang on to because the, right, see, right. If, if you're doing a continuing story, there's something you want the reader to hang on to. Like this is the bit that this is the bit that's the thing you understand, and the rest mm-hmm. of the story is me telling you stuff you don't know. Right. That's what, and that's but that's what Isla does amazingly well. Even though it is slow, is from yeah. like the first handful of pages. It's like I, even though I don't understand it, I understand what they're trying to do. Like, like I get they're trying to get somewhere. Like even, even, yeah. I, I don't know the details around it, but now I want to find out. But because it, because obviously they're doing it with such purpose. One of my favorite first issues, I and it's for a book that I don't even think like you know it's one of my favorite books. You know, by the time it got to the end, but. Preacher number one is an absolute masterclass of how to do a first issue. It's it's fucking packed for one thing. It's like it's got a lot of story, and apart from that, it's doing like seven different things that you're gonna have to pay attention to over the rest of the series, and it gives you all of them in issue one. Like I don't think there is a single thing that happens in the first thirty issues that is not at least either tonally or story wise implied in that first issue. You know. Ennis is the Ennis is the master, I think, of 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 writing not just character incredibly because I think he's the best. He's one of the best character writers in comics, period. I agree. But I think that he's he's he is a master of especially when he's on of writing comics in a way that's very. It doesn't seem artificial. It doesn't seem structured. It, it's very, it feels very naturalistic, yeah. and it's because he you can tell that he's cut a lot, and mm-hmm. that it's really just what needs to be there, and he makes it seem seamless. So I mean, his he he recently had a first issue with Aftershock, oh, uh, a walk through hell, yeah. and it's uh, it's so it's so restrained, and it's so phenomenal. It really mm-hmm. is uh, uh, in terms of a horror book. It does it does exactly what it needs to do. It says exactly what it needs to say to build this sense of horror with very minimal uh, actions. You know what I mean? Like it's just people interacting, but there's this this rising tide of horror over the whole book, and it's it's masterful. It's he's he's a masterful writer. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like especially when it comes to character and dialogue, he just yeah. yeah and um, what what I think uh, is interesting about Preacher Number One is that he's actually doing a lot of formal stuff that you generally don't give get give um, Ennis credit for because there are like I think there's something like 12 different scenes in the book and uh, mm. it it it's over like it's a double sized book so it's like 40 pages um but even in 40 pages um most of the writers like if you ask a writer to you know give that amount of story they would use like two to three issues for that at least totally you know and it's all conversation like as as in that the the framing narrative is basically a conversation that these three characters are having so you already you already jumped ahead in the mm-hmm. story a little and then they're just catching each other up on what happened to them recently and it's all story relevant stuff or character relevant stuff and then there's like four different things that they don't know that are being conveyed to you but they're kind of being conveyed to you through those characters because you know do you know the implications that they don't but they, that, that's essentially this could this 
Now I'm going to go back and read it's it. An, it's an amazing one. Like, I reread it because uh, I think the editor, who was the editor? Was it Will Dennis? No. It was uh, Stuart Moore, I think. Uh, Axel Alonso. Oh, Axel Alonso. Alonso, yeah. So I think he was interviewed about it and he said at some point of time that he made NS do like four different, four drafts. And no, not even four, like more than that, something like seven drafts. And I was like, oh, let me then reread this and see like whether that works. And I, by the end, I was just like, fuck, I read this as a book. I read this as a trade paperback. I did not realize how well structured just the first part of it, it was. It, I was going right. to say, it, and I wasn't it was Stuart Moore who it is. Back then. Right. Oh, well, I think I think that's this. That's okay, there's the adage, right? Uh, that you need to start. You start your story as late into it as possible, and I think that's the biggest problem that I yeah. have. That I have with 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 first issues and with uh, what that what feel like early drafts of people's scripts is they they start from where they think it needs to start as opposed to where it should start, and part of that is wanting to kind of like spend a lot of time in the world of these people. Uh, before anything happens, and I think the problem with that is like you're talking about the like Dan Hill's kind of that contract you make with the, with the opening, and the problem with the contract people make in the opening, yeah. a lot of the time is that it's just reality. It's just it's just someone doing something, and I, you know, I no see that. That's I was gonna say I'm not one to talk because I just love to Sorry. watch people do nothing uh, for twenty pages, um, but but there is that you can start like you know we talk about Isla. So Isla starts when they're already on their way to the journey. The queen's already been turned into a an animal. There's already something that, like that is happening uh, to the world. It, preacher preacher starts like when yeah. the, the the cast is already all together and things have already happened to them. And so part of that w- what you're doing there is you're also just making it more engaging for a reader because you're making them a participant in it because they they then have to kind of catch up with you um, sure. and you put more impetus on them to do yeah. something, not just to sit there and and kind of just let it wash over. Them, but to be part of the of the storytelling process, and if you can do that to people, that's really really powerful. I think in like in, in prose, I think you can get away with it a lot easier because people have to be engaged uh, because sure. they are telling the story also with you because they are imagining it through your prose. So from the first sentence, uh, you, they are engaged in the way that they aren't uh, necessarily in comics. So I think you have a, a tough. I think you do no. have a slightly tougher time in comics, but I don't think it's that tough. I think you can just start the story later. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, like, I just don't know. Uh, see, I, I, actually, I, I had two points here. Like, so let me just to kind of make them. Uh, so one thing is that. Um, uh, see, partly uh, this is you learning to write. As in, uh, as a writer, the the boring bits at the beginning are necessary for you yeah. to get to know the characters yeah, yeah. and all of those things. They are not necessarily they're not front facing sure. things. They're mm-hmm. they're back end things. And secondly, this is this is a prose thing as well as a comic thing. That like uh, somebody mentioned Matt Fraction talking about it recently, but I've heard this from like people like Stephen King and stuff as well. Is that you know Matt Fraction basically said that uh, you, you know once you start you know, really plotting your story properly, you'll probably realize that your second issue needs to be your first issue. And mm. same with uh, Stephen King talked about how like, uh, you know, you'll probably realize that you don't need the first mm. 20 pages of your story. Uh, and that's because that's you learning about the characters. And then once you've done that, you need to come back to the beginning and uh, basically understand that, okay, the audience doesn't need to know all of this stuff. That is just for me. Like that is just for me looking at people doing stuff so that yeah. I can learn how to write them. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. I mean, I, I feel like that's people say these kinds of adages, but it, really the only rule is whatever's interesting, right? And so yeah, sometimes well, that yeah, is really yeah. interesting. Like I, I don't like these kinds of prescriptive rules because it's sometimes that stuff really, really works really well. Something you know like goes to world, yeah. 
Right, exactly. And so it's like, I don't know what it means to start as late as possible because, well, just then no, don't but, write no, a story. No, there is, there is the a end. difference the between end. the story that happens and the story that people read. Or like there's a difference. So so the story that happens may sure, exist, sure, you know, sure. uh, way, way, or, or will exist way, way, way beyond the confines of anything that anyone sees on the page of a comic book. But when you're writing that, you can look at that story and you go, that's the story, but that not is not necessarily the story. Do you know what I mean? Like, like with you and Max, you and Maxwell's, you have a totally, story totally. that takes place from like him as a young kid to him as an old dude, right? But you, what you're what, what you're showing us is just sections right, yes, of that story. Yes, yes. Whereas what you get in early drafts and exactly. uh, which is not a wrong way to write, I don't think, but it's but it's just it's just a, a case of an early draft mm. is putting that all down, putting that that telling that whole story, and then realizing that yeah, I don't need to tell you that whole story. I don't need to tell you, you know, this little bit here and this bit here and this bit here. Yeah, yeah. So the most interesting it's not, part. It's not about skipping yeah. an issue. But what, I, I guess what I'm saying is like. That hits on a point, which is figure out what is actually interesting. Which you know, both of you are saying the same thing. I think, which is figure out what is interesting. Right, which is so hard. It's just it. It's very you cannot. There's no rule that if you start it a little bit later or whatever, that it's going to be more interesting. Is what I guess is my only. point. You can write hundred pages of terribleness. So if you skip the first twenty, you've, you've still got like eighty pages for someone to right. get through. Right. But the, but the point the, the point it speaks to, I think, is fair. Yeah, but it's just hard to. You, I mean, one of the things as a writer is being a reader, right? And so you kind of have to be able to judge whether something is genuinely interesting or if it's just you masturbating, you know, and coming on the page, kind of. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, like there's a certain self criticism that is required, and a certain. You're, that's why everybody always says, "Well, I just write for myself," right? Because fundamentally, that's the only person that is reading your stuff at the beginning and can make the decision of whether it's good or whether it's not good. Yeah, like see, um, okay, as a reader, I tend to be very suspicious about books that uh, contain a prologue that happens later in the story. <laughs> because, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, be, be, because what I tend to kind of find is that you knew where the interesting bit was, but you refused to let go of the stuff that was not going to be interesting to the reader. You wanted Absolutely. to still have it. So you front-loaded the interesting bit in the first 10 pages, and the next 10 pages are like, you know, getting to the concept. When sure. I actually understood the concept in the first 10 pages, you just had some piece of writing that was incredibly precious to you. Uh, again, it does. it's not the case every single time. Obviously, there is a ton of like uh, books that work like that. And, you know... Why the Last Man, for instance? Yeah. Uh, does it start with something later? Oh, yes. It yes, starts yes, with... Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, in that case, though, it's used to, to create a sense of dread that you're building up towards as you start to mm -hmm. really enjoy these characters living a kind of past sort of idealistic irony, life where they're, you know, they're just... Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so there is a there is a way of doing that. That's that's right. But what you often find is just yeah. It's like oh, this character is you know we're opening and the character is crucified, you know, and hanging uh, as the, as their city burns. And then oh, six months earlier, and now it's going to take you know ten ten issues to get to the point where he's crucified. But that, all, yeah. part, part of yeah. that is also just a necessary <laughs> evil sometimes, depending on on the type of audience that you're getting. Like the reason why Lauren Order for example or like you know uh, csi miami or whatever uh it's because it's because the people watching it uh you have to hook them in or they're just going to flick over to something else and part of that is is just having like a, a like a a readership or an audience that is invested already and it's like especially on things like tv it's, it's a bit more difficult because if, if, if someone doesn't care like within the first sort of five or six seconds they can just put something else on like immediately and just be given some other visual information in a comic maybe i don't know maybe maybe you can get away with it a little bit more i don't know but like uh, there is there, there is a there no, is a there reason is, I mean, why that works and why it's used for everything it's because it's because people that are not engaged <laughs> will become engaged point. like pretty quick 
It's it's cheap. It's cheap, but it works. Yeah, because the other way around is also. Yeah, but the other way around is also alienating because, like, let's say, let's say I assume as a writer that you know my concept, and I'm just not going to portray it to you. Like, I'm not. I'm just not going to tell you the concept note in my issue at all. That ends up being alienating, and that can like push somebody off. Like, like me with Remender at times, where it's like, okay, like I'm like I'm sticking with it because I like the artwork and I kind of trust Remender as a writer. But if I did not, those first issues might just throw me off because this is too alienating. I don't I don't know where the story is going. I don't I don't know what we're supposed to But that's but that's how but yeah, that's how you like know? the so, you know the CSI stuff works. Is it it tells you it gives you it tells you where it's going. Like it, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is what it's like it's going yeah. someone is gonna die at some point like and someone will come and find out right. what happened to them within this, you know, this forty three minutes of this episode. So just 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 We'll get, we'll get. I, I think Isn't that's the murder mystery works quite well because you're always starting right. with the thing that yeah. uh, you know, like it's you're always starting with the excited. It has, it has absolutely bit. no yeah. trust in an audience. It's, it's like, that like, it does not trust you to <laughs> yeah. care. They just like they just yeah. desperately for you, desperate for you to care, which it's very much a TV thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but most like for instance, again, a lot of issue, a lot of first issues do that, right? For for reasons because, or not even first issues, but any issue, the first couple of pages, you'll find that there's certain writers where they're really they're using a formula in terms of how they structure the issues, and they're using it because it works. Whereas I know that there are certain writers, if I read an issue of theirs within the first two or three pages there's going to be like a, a small scene that ends in a splash page of the character doing something, you know, interesting or crazy or some yep. character doing something interesting, and crazy, frankly, all why the last man issues yeah, yeah. followed that formula. Uh, so did, so do most of the, a lot of the DC Marvel stuff that you read where, and, and it's, I'm not, the content is good enough a lot of the times where it doesn't really bother you. And it's just a really effective way of getting your story across in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, that engages readers. So I'm not criticizing so much as, as it's just, it's just the reality. Yeah, like there's a there's a reason that people like keep talking about hooks a lot because like that it's an ethic. It's like the the idea is that you want to kind of hook the reader up very quickly. And you know, there are other writers who don't want that. And that's like I think that's a that's a matter of taste. That's not really a it's not a value judgment that uh, yeah. you know, you like having hooks is not like a uh, you know, bad writer thing or whatever. Like the Da Vinci code was was hugely popular, right? And it was written in that sort of way. Always breathless. Kind of breathless, exactly. Too pair or the every chapter was like a page or two pages, and it was always they were always ending on a cliffhanger. So you were it was just yeah. compulsively readable. Yeah, is what is. Yeah, and that's, that's you can hate on the Da Vinci Code or not. It's just a, a lot of people loved it. I guess exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I finished the book. Like I, I didn't like the book, <laughs> but I can see why people finished it. Yeah, you were fully just compelled not, to read no, it. I did not like it. But that's I think, but. Yeah, it's just it's so yeah, easy to read. We're getting to the, the the heart of the thing, in which is that I think what are we leaning or edging towards the idea that there is there is content, there is something to hang your hat on to say like you know I'm, I kind of I've got something Absolutely. from this, and even if it is the thing we we're going to say is like the, the cheap uh, cold open or whatever, there is there's people are still working right. to give you a thing to be like this is what we're going to tell you, this is this is how I'm going to keep you engaged for this little moment. Yeah, like what, I, what I would un- what really annoys me is when the first issue is literally just an advertisement for the <laughs> next issue. Like yeah. you know, like basically it ends on a cliffhanger that tells you why should you should be reading mm-hmm. the next issue, but it kind of never conveys why I should be reading right. this issue. Like it, that is what frustrates me. Like I, I yeah, 
like uh, i i just uh, downloaded um eleanor davis's uh, new thing that she's serializing uh, so it's going to be in six chapters and there's one chapter the first chapter is like 24 pages i think and it's a chapter it's not it's not like a first issue exactly it's a first chapter but i literally read two pages that she had posted and i was like i have to <laughs> this, this is like i don't know what's happening i don't know who these people are but i know exactly why i'm going to mm-hmm, like this mm-hmm. um you know so that's that ideal yeah that that's yeah. ideal exactly i knew in two pages that i'm going to read this and i'm going to love this that was kind so, of like uh, yeah, the wires thing though as well right because the wire rarely if i remember rarely ever ended in like a episode on a cliffhanger most of the time it was, it was just like people talking to each other and then it was like oh wow this is really interesting and then the, the show's up just like ends i don't think i can't remember there being a really really specific kind of like case of a cliffhanger um but the the thing with that was again it, but it works in the same way almost that like Isla does where we jump in to these people who already all know each other already have pre-established relationships uh they're already like going about their lives yeah. there isn't a case of like uh McNulty's like the the new cop on the beat and we so is is learning all this stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's just yeah. like it's just like this is like day you know 10,000 in these people's like lives and that was which was also the point of it right yeah, was right. that like all this horrible shit that's going on is just it's just right. it's just life it's just everyday life and so part of it was it was the exact same thing of like keeping up with that like again i know people that uh i'll use helen as an ex- helen as an example again it took helen like 10 episodes to like the wire <laughs> and then after episode 10 she was like i can't stop watching this show but it take it because you have to build up right. in the same way meeting people you have to build up wires, a rapport yeah. with them almost um which is not a good model <laughs> my parents loved it but they had to watch it with subtitles because it was <laughs> yeah, so yeah. thick you know yeah like in yeah, their yeah. they're foreign they're foreign people so Yeah, like see, uh, that's some, and, not something I've ma- I've managed yet. Like I watched three episodes of The Wire, and I enjoyed it, but I realized I was gonna have to watch like five more to kind of really get into it, and I, then I didn't have the time, and, but, and, and I managed. So, like, it's not I think it's, it's by design though as well. It's like, it's very much by design, right? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think there's a there's a danger. The thing about for The Wire though, I thought that there was a lot of there was quite a lot of content in every episode. You yeah. know, so for me. there there was something that i could hold on to i think the real danger for me is you see people who who take that same ethos the creators who take that same ethos and say well if you want to enjoy this season of a thing you have to watch the whole season of a thing if you want to enjoy <laughs> any part of it but don't are putting the amount of of content or the amount of 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 story and and character and and just ca- and taking the same amount of care in terms of how they craft the dialogue and everything into every into every episode. I think the wire was was a, an incredible piece of craft with a lot of really great writers and actors and 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 creators on there. And I don't think that I think a lot of people are saying, "Well, yeah, that this is people want this kind of immersive storytelling. It's what people are talking about, but they're less willing to put the that sure, kind of work sure. and craft into it." And that's yeah. I think that's a very dangerous game. Like you have to know, like you said, like the reason that you're going to keep trying with the wire is because everybody tells you that the wire <laughs> is phenomenal. No, no, and you know even I, mean? I could tell I could tell that it was excellent. It was just I knew that it was going right. to work from my side. Like I I'm going to make a lot of enemies here, but Breaking Bad, like I watched two seasons of that thing 
and i thought it was pointless and i stopped watching it right but like because it it did not have the same kind of like every episode wasn't giving me enough to chew on and care about and i'd already sunk 20 hours into it and i was like you know you can't tell me that i'm done with 40% of the story and i'm not gotten into the story <laughs> right 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 you know you, I, I you can't tell me that season 3 is going to be amazing because that doesn't matter to me like, i watched two fucking seasons breaking bad's a weird one as well because yeah. that it's that's a tonal shift kind of show because the, the first I was going to say it yeah, really it's like a comedy yeah. and then it right. and then it devolves you know over the course of I don't know five seasons or whatever it is into like a very very almost very you know very serious dark, dark. character portrait but it but it begins with a almost like a you know like a fun kind of like you know suits like a like a like a 40 minute yeah yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> totally yeah i i hate i hate the first season of it i i watched the first season uh you know back in the day when i was a university student i was illegally torrenting it like every week cuz i was like oh a new thing with brian cranston that i quite <laughs> like from Malcolm in the middle and i was watching it like this is awful i I hated it. Like I, I, I watched the, the first four episodes, and I was like, "This is all this. Oh, it's kind of funny, but also just, crap." And then my friend, it. you know, two years later, yeah, my friend I, was like, "There's this show Breaking Bad. It's incredible." And there was three seasons, and I got back into it again. But like, <laughs> it, yeah, the first season did not work for me. Like weekly, individually, I just thought it, there wasn't enough there to keep me interested. Like waiting seven days between episodes, I don't know. It just didn't really work for me. But as a whole, as a, as a complete yeah. work from start to finish, it was really interesting because I think that's where it becomes more interesting. Is like the peaks and troughs of storytelling style. I'm actually preferring Better Call Saul. Yeah, that's a better show overall. I would say maybe, it, it, maybe no, it knows it knows what yeah, it I'm is. Yeah, I'm not going to Yes, exactly, exactly. I think that it's a it's a stronger piece uh, of work. I, the show that I really like right now that is doing something or that has been doing something uh, a little bit different is you know. Fargo is doing the murder mystery mm-hmm. without the mystery where you know it's not it's yeah. not a who done it. Yeah, that was like a cracker thing, who, you know, like cracker started yeah. that kind of trend. Yeah. Or was it uh, yeah. Colombo? Like no, Colombo had mysteries cracker as well. Was fantastic. Right? Uh, I think Colombo was yeah, Colombo was still mystery. Yeah, like, but I, I really, was like I you know who did it did in the first 10 minutes and then you can focus on the good bits which is you know the characters and like you know their interactions and stuff. Like like proper drama. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really, I think that that is a much more difficult thing to do well. You know, yeah. you're not relying on the compulsive need to know <laughs> that, that yeah. uh, who done it, that uh, who done it kind of, it, it, you know, it, it's relying on, right? I'll watch, you can watch a shitty who done it and you'll probably watch to the end just because it's like, well, was it fucking, you know, was it George Costanza <laughs> who did it or not or whatever? Like, you know, yeah. you want to know if, if it's, which guest it was that, that did it. Uh, Fargo was really just, a, it had a much harder you know, job of getting you involved in the characters in that mm-hmm. first episode enough where you just wanted to see what happened next. And I think it's a much more impressive I'm, piece of, I wanna, of work I'll, because of I that. I want to quickly throw it back to uh, something that Dennis wrote for issue 11 of Panel by Panel, uh, which was about um, serialized storytelling. And the, the show you use an example in that was The Sopranos. Now, I can't remember the, uh, mm. the first. Oh, no, I can. It starts out with him in therapy, doesn't it? It's the ducks. No, it starts with the the ducks. ducks. And so, like... And it ends with the ducks. So the the thing that Sopranos did that you argued very, very well in that piece is that that is a really good... It's not... We can discuss it as it relates to a first episode as well, but as a piece of storytelling, it's the serialized where each, you know, each individual episode of that show had a thing. And it, and it was pretty, it was usually established exactly. fairly early on. Like, this is what we're doing in this episode yes. and we're going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to resolve this storyline. But yeah, but we're also there is, you know, yeah, exactly. as you are now aware, because we're into season three of The Sopranos, episode six, or whatever, there's a whole bunch of other storylines that are kind of going on at the same time. And we'll address those too, but there's also a thing 
that we will tell you in this, you know, in this hour. And I think like that's that's what less and, and less. Yeah. Um, I think that speaks to what Biddy was saying as well about like first issues just kind of being like not they don't they just are an advertisement for issue two is that they don't they're not they're not yeah they're not a, giving a you slice. a thing they're just a slice of a thing and it's like I are there trailers yeah, and it's, in which case right? if you just give me a slice of a yeah. thing then just just write it as a graphic novel and release it as a graphic novel if it's if it's if it's if it's, a, if it's 100%. serialized at least do something with it being serialized and even even like Isla which I keep coming back to because I don't know for some reason it's stuck in my head um but even that which is which yeah it's, it's a, good a very good book but even that which is which is slow <laughs> and I don't think anyone will argue it <laughs> being slow it's very slow but it still has like yeah. it still has like a thing it still does a thing and even I know that thing I don't think in the first yeah. issue is necessarily plot based. I don't think it is. It's much more it's much more Exactly. It's very tone and mood yeah. based, but it's yeah. a thing. It's like it's it's telling you what the world is like. It has like four different scenes where things actually yeah. happen, except those things are all either character based or and mood based. They're, they're not exactly plot based. Yeah, and, and, and the ending That's of that, it. the thing that has been revealed is for the most part you see a woman and uh and an animal walking around. And then the ending for me, the thing that captured me at the end was uh well, there's there's potentially some some form of magic in this world, which was not necessarily explained earlier. And then also there is other people Correct. in the world, and there are other people that may do danger and damage the world. And th- but that told me a thing. It said yeah. who are these? It told me who these people were. It gave me a little bit about their world, enough questions to keep me interested, but also just set up like that they are not alone. And I was like, okay, fuck, cut. You, you've given me a thing. Yeah. And then like the. And, I was gonna say it's 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 super slow, but it still gives you a thing, and it's like that that was such a good first issue, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, there's actually a, a kind of a cliffhanger at the end as well. Is that you know, like they they don't just reiterate the fact that oh, this uh, you know the the cliffhanger is basically that Rook is talking to the mm-hmm. tiger, right? And like you know, it's like she's having a conversation with it, and this is something that you as a reader already know. So it's not technically a new thing, but the new thing is the fact that this third character who did not know that earlier now knows <laughs> right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's right. still giving you a thing that is beyond the concept. It is not like well, and it goes back to the who done it sort of the twist. You you know who killed this person, but if another character in the in the show yeah. finds out who killed that person, that is its yeah. own kind of cliffhanger, right? Because exactly. What are the consequences? Exactly. Mm-hmm. that realization mm-hmm. that's yeah. what you're wondering like like that happens with sensate quite a lot the where like you're following eight strands and like you you always think that oh like everybody would know this but then suddenly you realize oh this other character did not actually know about this and that's going to lead to something dramatic now because like it's not about right. me getting that information it is about the fact that the fact that they did not have that information means something in the story right you know right it's yeah that reaction so what so exactly the, like drama is well the, like so because like if we get this on sort of on topic right for the first issues so your point your <laughs> point your point Biddy, was what was your so your first point was like what what does a first issue need to do or what does the opening of first issue need to do was it uh yeah no as in what what is a first issue like what what is it like what is what is the irreducible thing that a first issue is just get you interested yeah pretty that's much all that i think is. i think that's that's it and so in that sense trailer the trailer first issues if they work for a large number of people yeah. then they you know then they're so well, the, the, yeah. the problem with any of this stuff or and with art in general right is that as soon as it becomes commonplace, as soon as it becomes cliche, as soon as it, everybody starts doing a, a thing, it immediately becomes not interesting. So you you have to reinvent every time you're doing a first issue. I think yeah. you kind of have to reinvent how at least for you you're doing the first issue because right. if somebody's reading your 
your your whole body of work and they keep seeing that you're doing the same first issue structure over and over again that to me even if the structure is functional might you're going to alienate a certain you know group of your readers and hopefully alienate yourself a little bit from your own work because you're just you kind of just you know uh, yeah yeah because you are not it. exactly you're doing formula rather than putting something of yourself into it so unfortunately it's not a very strong conclusion but just anything that gets people interested i think you've you've kind of talked about isola as one end of the spectrum that is slow and 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 to- and very tonally based but still there's something in there that yeah. you kind of that, that that keeps you coming back and then preacher is I, I haven't read it in a while but i trust you to say that it's super <laughs> dense and and very characterful and and you know very and and then further still there is we, we were talking earlier about uh the anatomy lesson which is kind of a different kind of first issue or even a second issue that that takes the the already existing reality and recontextualizes it in such right. a way that it's its own yeah. twist but re- yeah. requires the, the previous knowledge of the reader or at least the basic knowledge of the concept to to fully I think hit, I think right? yeah like this, this, that's actually that's actually interesting because uh, Joe Hill uses that in lock and key quite a lot because they have a lot of first issues mm-hmm. and he, and that's a good way I mean that in a good way because uh, he uses that to kind of assume that both that there are going to be some people who haven't read the previous series but uh, most of the time it's it's a continuation of the previous uh, series mm-hmm. right so he can use each first issue to recontextualize the last you know version of it like the last volume yeah. so like, he doesn't do that a lot but i think like he he uses that a couple of times where the fact that you're reading like this is the first issue he kind of like it, it, it's almost like the first episode of a season where you know you don't necessarily have to start where the last season ended you can start in a different place and kind of uh, recontextualize bits and kind of, and kind of come at it in a different direction. I think it, yeah, I think it's right. You know, like Legion does again. Like Legion is great in that. Like it it starts like yes, like I was thinking years later well. or something. A, a year later, I a think, year later, something. yeah. Like so, it kind of it doesn't literally give you a continuation. It says that we are going to start at a different point and then we are going to come back. I think it'd be worth adding a caveat to just it's interesting because I've read. I'm trying to think of like a good example, but I feel like I've read stuff that has been interesting, but not necessarily made me go like, I definitely want to read like the next issue of this. Mm. But I think interesting with yeah. with a with a a thing that tells me like where I'm going next, even if it's not necessarily where you take me next, but like a thing that kind of goes like, okay, we, we're gonna do like a question I'm asking. Yeah, about. yeah, like we're, we're gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, we're gonna go here next, and as I say, regardless if we go there, or we go somewhere else or whatever. But like, I think just some sense. Where I can start to, so in the in the in the the new issue of panel, Build. yeah, in the new issue of panel by panel, not to keep my relentlessly, but it's like it's one of the few things I actually end up reading every month, right? <laughs> so it's like the only thing that is in my brain. Um, so we've got Rosie Knight who's written a, a final thoughts piece about the end of surprisingly uh, DK three Master Race, the first issue of that. And the thing that she, what she loved about it was that it just, it just posed so many opportunities. And we got talking a little bit uh, in kind of like the, the edits and feedback about this, about that piece, about like, is that, is that the true power of like monthly superhero comics in terms of why there's a longevity to them? Is it because when, when each issue ends, a good one will allow your, like, you know, as a kid will allow your, your imagination to run riot of like, well, what if he doesn't, you know, defeat, Blastoid, I don't, I don't right. know, villain. Uh, it's like, well, maybe right. maybe no. Blastoid could, has a di- blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you give me enough that I can spend the time doing my own storytelling for 30 sure. days. You invest yeah. yourself yeah. In, in the work. But the, yeah. the 
danger with that, to me, that's the danger of these kind of long form storytelling that keep deferring conclusions and keep deferring the you know satisfaction is that you end up building this vast structure of your own thoughts that that are actually doing all the work. And there's just no way that the writer can satisfy sure, those sure, things. Sure. Basically lost. So you end up with saying that the ending was super disappointing because it wasn't what they had built up in their head, right? right. And that's in it sort of inevitable. So no, I agree with you 100%. I just think that people are using that tool, which is which is which is useful, but can also be done cheaply in too but broadly that's, and too that comes, and that's yeah. too expensive. I mean, you you can. Because as I say, the Sopranos thing does the same thing, right? Where it gives you answers to some things, and then. And also poses new questions, but it does it on a frequency that's. But that's that's the ABC, right? That's the ABC structure where you're constantly things are are like at the end of a season, somebody pussy yeah, dies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Spoiler. They, they've been they've been building that up. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. Doesn't matter. Uh, he's dead anyway. Doesn't matter. So so what I'm <laughs> so he's dead. Yeah, it's over. He was dead years ago. I'm done with it. Uh, but like, so that makes sense because it was slowly building over, you know, over the course in a way that, but, but there were still a lot of smaller conclusions, yeah, yeah. right? There were a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of dilemmas that get set up that get resolved in an issue or in an episode or two or whatever. So I think that that is a, a, a stronger way to do a series, maybe a, a bit more difficult. And it also requires, I mean, they all require a certain amount of investment and they all require that you have that you trust that you're going to have a certain amount of space, which is the other thing that I have a problem I have with comics is that you just don't know if you're going to get canceled after five issues or three issues or whatever. Right. So, like, I mean, it's a possibility, especially if you're doing monthlies that you're not going to make it. You're going to get replaced after Mm -hmm. five issues like that's, you know, and so doing one of these expansive stories, I think Hickman's even said that, like the kind of work that he did on Fantastic Four is almost impossible to do right now yeah. for in a monthly superhero book because, and he was he was using what's called the Levitz plot or the ABC yep. you know structure yeah. that was. We should, that, we should talk about I'm, that at some point, like that because that's a very interesting plot structure that, uh, yeah, that I think that bears talking about. But, but it's only in certain situations that you're allowed to do that in comics. I guess is my yeah. would be my. Okay, so so yeah, so Billy, for you then, what's the, what's the what does a first issue need to what does it need to do for you? How would you sum up what the the, the value or the the proposition for what a first issue should be? Yeah, I, I think for me, I have to go back to preacher in the sense of uh, <laughs> I I don't I don't really care if the uh, first issue gives me the concept note, um, but I do care that like I need I don't know I need at least one scene that makes me go. Fuck! If they have anything like that again, I'm gonna keep reading. Right. But it has to be a scene, as in it has to be. It has to feel like a thing in itself, rather than the beginning of a thing or something. Right. Right. You know, like for so, for, for me in Preacher, I think the the first time I read it, obviously I did not really analyze the first issue or whatever. It was literally the fact that Tulip shoots a man and she essentially shoots his mouth off, <laughs> and there's this absolutely striking visual yeah. of this guy with just confusion in his eyes who doesn't right, have a right. mouth anymore <laughs> and i was like if you give me one of those things every couple of issues i'm okay i'm, I'm good with right, this like right. I, i'm gonna continue reading this With so class- if i just if i just pasted in a few pages from preacher into my first issue you can, would, would you, <laughs> yeah like would let's, you let's see how long i can keep the deception up or like transmetropolitan like transmetropolitan for me was the one of the first comics that i read uh, as an adult and it was just this like you know, image of this bearded man yeah. with a three-eyed cat and a gun pointed at nothing in particular. 
and it, he he hadn't all, even gone bald yet like it was like him like with all the hair that looking like yeah, alan moore and alan moore like yeah, alan moore yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and for me it was just that oh he, there's a three eyed cat like this guy like there's like jesus what, what jesus my friend and he owes me 2 bucks or something like that a bumper sticker on his car and i was just like i i will give this a few issues i, I but it's I, interesting I that what you're what you keep coming back to are strong and absurd images like a, a strong or absurd image you seem to need uh, what because so for me it's novelty it's like something new mm-hmm. it's something like right. i haven't okay. seen before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know okay. like most comics right now don't give me those things i can tell you what happens in the first issue but i never never feel that i was surprised by it or like right. i right. never feel that i saw something in this that i had never seen before like I've unlike maxwell maxwell does that like if, even if i wasn't working on it i would have read the second issue of maxwell's And the Excellent. second That's issue exactly of Maxwell's again does what it is all about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you are you, so, you, so for me, yeah. you've got stri- a striking image. But you're also talking about two books that I think have like just generally really good, strong uh, world building and characterization. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Both issues too. Yeah, agreed, a hundred percent. And and I think that's the greater. But what? But it's interesting to me that's what what you bring up, what you kind of what you take away from it most strongly is that one image that sticks with you, especially you know at the beginning. I yeah, think that's absolutely true of comics. Can, that's the power of, put, of it. Your characters are interesting while you're reading it, but after that, you're probably right. not going to entirely remember. Like, yeah, see, yeah. I forgot, for example, that. Sandman has amazing characterization over and over again because I read it once and then I didn't didn't read it for eight years, and I kind of reduced it to a series of specific images and I was like, totally. these are the things I found interesting, these are the things I didn't. Mm-hmm. But then I read the whole thing again and I realized, oh, there's so much that I just didn't remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of a visual medium, right? Is it's yeah. that 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 those words and images juxtapose. You know, it's comics is juxtaposition, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, and and so, like, I, that's absolutely right. It's the image that's going to stick with you. And so, cr- yeah. there's nothing wrong. I think there's nothing wrong with trying to craft images like that. You know, consciously. Obviously, you want them to come out of the work and and to yeah. come out of the story. No, and also those images are what excites you to write a comic in the first place, right? Like, otherwise, mm-hmm. it right. would have been a novel. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's an image here that you want to convey. You want to get to that image. Like, and if that if that image is on page eighteen, then you have page uh, you have eighteen pages to get your audience to the point where they feel the same thing that you felt when you had the image. Right. Mark Miller specifically says a lot of his stories come from that from the, this one particular image that he then builds around. Right, this, right, and the see, there's nothing wrong with it because all, like, essentially, all you're trying to do with a, um, like, maybe not. I won't, I won't make the general statement of any work of art, but at least with a story, <laughs> what you're trying to do is make the reader feel something, whether it's like awe, whether it's like sadness, whether it's just like you know whatever it is. And the fact is, images cannot like. Is the juxtaposition that comes in there because you can have a very striking image, but it's not going to convey everything that you felt, and the rest of the story is you trying to do that. Mm-hmm. That's why you should have uh, scratch and sniff comics because <laughs> smell is is the strongest of the senses. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's what it's been. Yeah. That's, what, that's what the direct market's been missing, isn't it? Scratch and sniff <laughs> so, Spider-Man. So what's really necessary? What's really necessary for a good first issue is a, a scratch and sniff cover or element of some sort. Oh, we've definitely. Yeah, definitely I think I think we've solved five. this problem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that question. <laughs> Precisely. Like, come on, has like we 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 happen to solve an entire comics-based problem in an, that's, in, that's, in an episode. That's pretty we, impressive. That is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think round of applause for us. We, we applause, have yeah. we have nicely sort of we are have actually maybe for the for the maybe for the first time we are all talking about the same thing. Um, so <laughs> when, when, so I mean, but like to to resolve a topic, we we I think we're all sort of in agreement, right? We're all kind of 
right. saying the same kind yeah. of thing for a first issue, which is a minor miracle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, right, yeah. Especially given episode three, that was brilliant. <laughs> well, episode four, sorry, this is episode five. That, right? This is yeah, that was episode. Which episode? Four. I yeah, episode four. I think where it was just me and you arguing two separate conversations. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, but I, I think we still managed managed to make a lot of interesting points because I don't think I've ever gotten as many messages for any previous episode, <laughs> and I got none. So that that tells you a lot about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So it was mainly people arguing with me. So like, I, I don't know what I was doing. Okay. That's good. So I was right. That's that's all I need. That's all I need. So, so we're kind of saying for a first issue, it just needs to be engaging, right? It just needs to tell us somewhere we're gonna, where we're going to take us and give us something engaging and interesting to stick in our brains. And, and maybe, and maybe try for something novel as well, right? Some, yeah. something, something that, that, that busts ex or or at least confounds expectations. I think that all, all, almost any art should try to do that, but especially for the first issue, you know, once you've become more involved in, in characters and what and and the plot, you're more inclined to 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 be okay with a, a bit more you know workmanlike or or flatter uh, execution. But I, I do think that there being something in that first issue that, of course, engaging is is the ultimate, but part of that is probably some some novel some novel thing that you do there some novel image or some novel even piece of dialogue or or character motivation or what have you is is good at least i try to do that in the in the yeah. first issue. right no i, th- I think good. yeah i think that's correct yeah. yeah i think i think we can reach consensus on that well that i guess that's our two topics hmm, sold really excellent classified stamped signed sealed delivered <laughs> <laughs> we fixed we fixed comics again once again Congratulations. Oh, yeah. every, every week we do this every week. <laughs> so, so Dennis, thank you for joining us. Um, do you want to tell... Thanks for having do want, me. Well, do you want to tell everyone, you know, do you want to plug something? Do you want to tell everyone where to find... If everyone's stuck by with stuck oh. by this for 90 minutes, do you want right. to tell, tell the remaining yeah. three people where to find you? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at MDesad, like the New Gods character, or the Marquis. And uh, yeah, you can find me on shelves in... Uh, Maxwell's Demons, which is out at comic shops everywhere, and uh, on Panel by Panel, which I write for periodically and and with great aplomb, I think. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks, thanks for joining us, and thanks everyone for checking out this week's Letters and Lines with a Ditcher and Me. You can find the podcast at all the usual places you can find podcasts, and we are on iTunes, which uh, I don't know. For me, that was quite exciting. <laughs> yeah, you, you can keep up to date with me on Twitter at Aditya B and on my website at AdityaB.net. And I'm on Twitter at Hassan OE. Plus, you can check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and my magazine Panel by Panel at PanelXPanel.com. Now, Dennis, say thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>